but I do hope you have a great week. We've, we've been in this commit series. We're going to be in it for a few more weeks. Uh, we began with personal commitments, you know, reading and studying the Bible. Uh, we began with the commitment of giving and tithing, the commitment of praying, the commitment of fasting. And those actually impact the whole as a body of Christ. They impact our family. It's not just, you know, we're making those personal commitments, but it's impacting people around us. And last week we turned our attention to the corporate commitment of committing to church. We did that for the sake of looking in Scripture and seeing how Scripture defines the church. Because a lot of times we can have misdefinitions or wrong definitions of what the church actually is. And so how did Jesus, how does God define what the church is? And this morning we're going to kind of continue that focus. It's almost a commit to the church part two. As you can see behind me, it's commit to your part in the church. And we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. If you want to make your way there, we'll begin there in a second. Uh, we'll begin in ch chapter 12, verse 12. Let me read through verse 27 in that book. Um, but as I was thinking about this week and this commitment to my part in the church and our part in the church, I started thinking back in my own life of when I started committing to being a part of the body of Christ, to being a part of, of Christ's bride. And uh, initially I thought back to that very first time where my dad, my dad's a pastor, some of y'all know that, um, or he's kind of a retired pastor, as much as pastors retire these days, but... Um, I remember I was, uh, I believe, a senior, maybe even a freshman in high school, and I can't really say that my, my relationship with God was, was where it should have been at that moment, but my dad asked me if I would be the recreational leader for Vacation Bible School, and I thought, yes, because if you've been to Vacation Bible School, if you're familiar with Vacation Bible School, you know recreation is the one thing the kids absolutely look forward to. And so I got to be the cool guy at Vacation Bible School and got to do all the games and all that stuff and have fun with them and get messy and wet. And, and it, um, I just felt honored to be asked to even be a part of that um, because I knew I could handle games. But it wasn't that time. That wasn't the first time I played a role in the, in the church. And so I began thinking further back of when I was a freshman and sophomore in high school and uh, maybe even, yeah, I think it was freshman in high school, um, my, the church that my dad was pastoring in Illinois started going through a major church renovation. Basically, my dad just came at the church, and about a year later, just, they knocked every part of the church down except for this one part where the sanctuary was, and they rebuilt everything around it. And I got to be, play a part because at that time I was this football guy, and so I was lifting, and my dad said, you need to come, and you're going to carry stuff. And so that was my job. I was carrying lumber and carrying nails and buckets and things like that. And, and so the people who knew what to do in building stuff, they would have the supplies. And so I, I played a role in that part. But it even goes further back than that. Um, you know, I thought about times I was in children's choir. And we don't necessarily have a children's choir here, though children have sung in the past since I've been here. But uh, my mom was usually the children's choir director. And so, you know, I was kind of, I had to be in there. I mean, I didn't have a choice. And so uh, that was a role I played. And, and there was times of being in Bible drills. Anybody remember Bible drills? Some, yeah, well, that's fine. Uh, but Bible drills is one of those things that I played a part in. And, and I, I, I'm being honest, I don't know if that was a joyous part of my life, but I, I did it because I was the pastor's kid and I had to. How about this? Anybody ever here remember ringing church bells? The gloves? Bing, bong, bong. Yeah, so I was in a church bell choir and I thought maybe that was the first time I played a role in the church. But as I began walking through this passage, because that's where my mind started going before I started going through this passage myself, I realized that God used me even before those moments, before the, the, the children's church and the children's choir and, and the bells and all that. 
One of the things I've discovered in my time in ministry is people are attracted to churches for different reasons. Um, it might be people, groups of people, ministries, activities going on. But one thing I have discovered for sure is what attracts younger families to churches. And a younger family is attracted to a church when they walk into church and they see other younger families with kids around their same age. Um, it makes them feel comfortable. It makes them feel like their, their children will have peers that they can rely upon. And so one part I played even before I was saved and knew Jesus Christ was the fact that I was a baby and a young child to my mom and dad who were young adults at one point in time in their life. And because my dad was a young pastor and had young kids, and people would come and see that, and they would see his kids, so they would be attracted to that because they felt that they could relate to him and to the kids, and they were excited to see kids. And so there's different ways that we all play a part, and that's why it's important that we walk through Scripture and understand what it is when we commit. When we commit to the church, we're committing to a part to play within the church, and every individual, whether you're two foot tall to 80-plus years old, has a part to play in the, in the church. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, just to understand a little bit of context of what's going on, it's written by the Apostle Paul to a group of believers known as the Corinthians, or in a church in Corinth. It's a church of diversity and a church of division. And we seem to find this in the world. Diversity tends to lead to division. We see it in the news. We see it in history. What Paul's trying to do for the believers, what he's writing to take on, is not to live with a worldly mindset, but a kingdom mindset. So to see diversity not as leading to division like the world does and what the world sees, but rather to see diversity as a means of unity and importance. When we see diversity in the church, we are seeing a beautiful orchestration of God's sovereign hand upon His bride, bringing all people from all backgrounds together. Well, in the church of Corinth, there were believers who were Jewish background and Gentile background. And what that means to be a Jewish believer means that you were born into the covenantal relationship with God, the covenantal family established through Abraham. But through the Old Testament scriptures and through the understanding of who Jesus was, you have accepted Jesus Christ as the Jewish Messiah. And so you then are born again. What we would call today is a Judeo-Christian. Now, Gentile believers were people who were born outside of that covenant relationship. But they came to understand Jesus Christ as the Savior of the world, who died for the sins of the world and rose again. And so they've accepted Jesus Christ as presented through the, G the Jewish manuscripts, or what we call the Old Testament. And now they have been adopted into that covenantal relationship or plan that God has set in place. Well, there's social diversity within this church. There's also economic and edu educational diversity. The, the church of Corinth is a lot like middle school and high school, and I don't mean to offend our students at this point in time, but there were cliques within this church. There were people who thought they were better, and they made other people feel like they didn't belong. And that's one part about middle school and high school I don't care for, and it's the part about politics I don't like watching, is the idea of cliques, and some people get along, some people don't, and so we're in their own groups. Well, Paul's trying to counter that. He's trying to let these people know that God has brought this diversity into the church so that the world can look at the church and see that people can be different, and yet they can coexist for a common goal and a common plan. And so this is what Paul's taking on in First and Second Corinthians. The overall theme of both these letters is that of unity. And so as we come into chapter 12, where Paul begins at the beginning of chapter 12 is dealing with spiritual gifts. 
He is letting the believers know that if you've accepted Jesus Christ and you have the Holy Spirit inside of you, then God has given you a spiritual gift. And he elaborates in chapter 12 very briefly how there are different gifts, all for different purposes, but all for the same goal of making the body of Christ a healthy body. And so from spiritual gifts, Paul is then led by the Spirit to turn to this analogy or illustration of using the body to represent the church or Christ's bride and the function of that body. So we're going to walk or read through this, and then we're going to walk through it and see the commitment that we make when we commit to church and our part in it. So beginning in verse 12 of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that wouldn't make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, I am not an eye, but I, I, do, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as He chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Verse 21, The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we think less honorable we bestow the greater, greater honor, and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our most presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, and there, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ, and individually members of it. So I just want to do a quick little poll. How many here grew up Southern Baptist? How many of you here grew up in another sort of Baptist tradition, not necessarily Southern Baptist? How many of you here grew up in a different denomination altogether? Okay. How many here uh, didn't initially go to church, or as you grew up, church wasn't really the most important thing in your family? How many here accepted Christ as a child? How many as a, a, a teenager? How many here accept the Christ as an adult? How many here have grandkids? Kids? How many here are still changing diapers? God bless you. <laughs> There's diversity here. There's people from all different backgrounds, all different experiences, all different times of coming to Christ, all different uh, maybe motivations, experiences, expectations. We could move to more personal questions, which I don't want you to raise your hands on these. We could ask questions about your living arrangement. We could ask questions about your educational background, your, your job or your vocation. We could ask questions about your salary, your relationship status. We could talk about those who have similar backgrounds like some of us who did grow up Southern Baptist, and then we could talk about those who grew up Southern Baptist, but more in a traditional sense of Southern Baptist. Some of us have experiences with RAs and GAs and Bible drills, and some of you hear that, and that's like a foreign language. You have no idea what that even means. 
you hear those titles and it doesn't make much sense. Some of us here are working to graduate from high school. Some of us have GEDs and high school diplomas. Some of us have associates and bachelors. Some of us have masters, and I think there's some even here who have doctorates. We have new believers and we have not so new believers. We have Stratfordians, we have Marshfieldians, Springfieldians, Fairgrovites, Ashgrovites, and Elklandians, I believe. Yeah. We have unemployed, employed, married, single, parents, and couples. This helps us understand chapter 12 of what Paul is dealing with. Paul is not ignoring diversity of the Bible, or diversity of the body. Instead, Paul is pointing to the importance of diversity by embracing it, realizing that our diversity is what calls us to be unified. See, when we commit to church, we are, we are committing from diversity. Verse 12, it says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and that word members means parts, and all the members are parts of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. And in verse 12, Paul is using a method of parallelism. He's captured that we have a body, and though it is one, it has many parts. It has many parts, and though it's still one body. And so we come together, and not only some of the backgrounds we've hit on, we have different preferences. We have different likes. Who here likes peanut butter? Who here thinks peanut butter is disgusting? Uh, the righteous have spoken. Okay. We have, we have different experiences with God and different backgrounds with God. Some of us have been hurt and cut by the church and cut by the people of God. Some of us haven't experienced that. There are different things that make us laugh. That's why some of y'all get my jokes and some of y'all don't. Some of y'all get J Jason's jokes better than mine. But there's different things that make us laugh, just like there's different things that make us cringe, different things that make us get excited, different things that touch our heart. We exist in a church to form in a form of plural, plurality and individuality to come together in unity. That word member, it means parts. It's not to speak of an organizational structure like, well, I'm a church member. Rather, it's to speak of a part of a whole, like an organ or extremity. So our backgrounds, our experiences with God are what make us unique and capable of making this church a healthy church. A.F. Johnson points out that in Paul's mind, there's some sense in which the divinely constructed union of the many diverse parts organically interrelated, independently, harmoniously, and functionally one body constitutes now through the Holy Spirit the reality of Christ's visible presence and activity in the world. In the church, there is an expectation of diversity by God to show the world that unity is possible. We live in a world where diversity happens, it tends to paralyze people. We don't tend to flock to people who are different from us, and we don't tend to speak highly of them. History has shown throughout the years through genocide, persecution, and wars that we don't like people who are not like us. But what the church does to the world is it shows that we can be diverse and have different backgrounds and different, and, and different ideas about things, but we can still coexist. It does not matter nationalities. Paul points it out in verse 13. It doesn't matter Jews or Greeks. It does not matter social status, slaves or free. We were made to drink of one spirit, for the body does not consist of one member or part, but of many. And so when we say to God, because we're not saying to the pastor, and you're not saying to church leadership, we're saying it to God that we cannot be involved because of our background, or our lack of education of the Bible, or our lack of resources, or our lack of, of experiences. We are telling God that he was wrong in bringing us to his bride. 
Because the reason you are here in the church is because God has called you here to use you. You may not be a preacher. You may not be a teacher. You may not be a singer. You may not enjoy students. So when Jason talks about sixth grade girls, you're like, <laughs> get behind me, Satan. You may not enjoy st- uh, children. You may not enjoy being ba- in the nursery with babies. You may not be spiritually gifted. But this is what Paul's led to draw out in verses 14 through 17 using this body illustration. He speaks of two extremities, the foot and the hand, and then two sensory organs, the ear and an eye. And so what he's doing, he's trying to draw out out the ridiculousness of someone saying that they do not have a part to play in the body. He's also addressing the temptation that we may have to classify someone as being more important in the body than another person. So if I ask the question, what does a church have to do? to have. How would you answer that? People would be nice. That's kind of a a main characteristic of the church. It's a gathering of people. But some of us may say a church has to have a preacher. Some may say a church has to have a worship team or someone doing that or leading worship. Or a church has to have a building. What Scripture says is the one thing church has to have is a diversity of people working together for the same cause. That's what a church has to have. M. Taylor points out each part of the body is equally part of the body, and each part of the body has its own unique function. Just think about how ridiculous it would be if we were all eyes, and let's pretend the eyes represent preachers. Can you imagine if everyone here was a preacher? Can you imagine how long we would be here today? If everyone here was called to preach, we would be an unhealthy church. If everyone here was called to be a worship leader or be on the worship team, we would be an unhealthy church. If everyone here was focused on students, which I know that's Jason's prayer, we would be an unhealthy church. If we were all focused on children, or even if we were all focused only on missions, we would be an unhealthy church. If we were focused on just the kitchen or the nursery or security, the Bible says we would be unhealthy. And I've said this before, we all have a unique part to play in this church, and no one is called to do everything. But you're called to do something. What Paul points out in verse 18, I think is so important. It says, but as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. And, and we can read over this, and you may have read this passage again and again and just kind of skim over it. But what this means is we may have come to this place because of a certain ministry or certain activity. You may have come to this place because of a certain individual or a certain group of people. You may have come to this place or continue to come because of a certain experience or feeling that you had when you were here. But in reality, what the scriptures tell us is we did not come to Harvest Hill and we did not come to this church or any church you've ever found yourself on our own intuition. It was God who arranged and placed us here according to His will and what He wanted to do. So if you call Harvest Hill your church or the church you belong to, or maybe you've just been coming here a while and you need to understand the sovereignty of the situation. It is not us who come, but it is God who has drawn us here to be a part of what He needs to do through Harvest Hill. So when I commit to calling this my church home or my church family or this is where I attend church, I need to understand I I do that because I have been committed by God. So I guess we are committed, Jason, but we're committed by God to be in this place. And so if you ever have to ask, God, 
where are you in my life? I don't see your hand upon my life. Your desire to be at church and to be a part of church is God's hand upon your life. He's placed that desire in you. So you're here because God has drawn you and led you to this place. We're not here for the sake of being here or feeling a seat, but we're here because God has placed us here to use us. I think we understand this in the realm of when a preacher comes to a church. We say we called a preacher or we're calling a preacher. We hope the preacher accepts the call. But the reality is, if you're here, then you've been called by God to be here. So it's not just me that's been called or my family. You have been called by God to be at Harvest Hill, to be in this community, to glorify His kingdom. God wants to use you to be glorified through His bride, the church. I keep, I'll keep beating this, but God has put you here for a purpose. He has drawn you, put you here where he needs you, so you might be used in the way he needs to use you. And hear this, what God's word says, that as he chose, it means that you are not an accident, but an attribute of the holy God for Harvest Hill and his church. Bring us here. God is committing us to be a part. And God declares, hear this, God declares that we are committed as indispensable. Verse 22. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. That word indispensable means God has declared you necessary. You are necessary to be in his church. You are necessary to be a part of his bride. And we live in a world that applauds in certain attributes and characteristics of people. And we get impacted by that because we view some things as more, impor more important and some people as more important. But that's not the way it works in the church. God doesn't do it that way. Jurgen Moltmann points out that God expects that in the community of Christ there will be strong and weak educated and uneducated, people who are good to look at, and the plain. And no one is useless and of no value. No one can be dispensed with. So the weak, uneducated, and ugly have their own special charisma in the community of Christ's people. The point is this, is that you are necessary because you are different, and God has brought you here because there are different roles to play in the church. I'm called to preach and teach the Word of God. I'm called to edify and build up God's people for the sake of the ministry, which means this. As a preacher, I am not called to do everything. I cannot preach and be in the nursery at the same time. I cannot preach and be in children's church at the same time. But here's the thing. There are indispensable people in the nursery at this very moment in the Bride of Christ. There are indispensable people in children's church at this very moment for the Bride of Christ. We may not see them, but they're there. They're doing the work. They're being a part so we can be a healthy church. There are indispensable people who work in the kitchen on Wednesday night lives and for funerals. There are indispensable people who drive the van. And though we may think, oh, they're just driving the van. They're indispensable. They're absolutely necessary. There's indispensable people right now that you're unaware of that are helping secure this building. There are indispensable people who play instruments and sing songs. There are people here who don't necessarily have a title at this church, but you know what they're really good at? 
They're really good at making people feel welcome and that they belong. They're people who can smile and shake a hand and engage in a conversation, and it makes someone else feel at home and like this is a place they should be. And guess what? There are also people here who can't do that. <laughs> Sorry, you need to pray to God to help you smile more or something. I don't know. But, <laughs> but there are certain people in this place that they just have that gift. They just automatically care simply because you're here. They're indispensable. And so you may be feeling called to do something, or you may be doing something this very moment that you don't think is important, but God says whatever you do, and you are to be doing something in the church, you are of great importance. You are indispensable, absolutely necessary. It's also huge in our identity when we think about the world. You may feel the world doesn't view as important because we don't have a title or we're not associated with a group of people. But hear this, God will never view you that way. When our identity is in Christ, we have been accepted by the eternal truth of God that we are valued. Some people are harder to get along with. There are some kids and students, man. You don't practice perseverance and patience. That's an answer prayer. So, Jason, yeah, some people are making that prayer. That's what you're praying for, for Jason to invite you to be a part of the student ministry. There are some kids here, maybe not here this morning, maybe so, I don't know. I'll, I'll try to look at any kids who are still here. Um, but they're going to they're gonna make you practice holding your tongue. There are people that God will bring into his bride that will make you have to bite your tongue a little bit longer. And smile a little bit harder. But they're indispensable. I've encountered some people that, man, they just, they have no filter. Don't you love people with no filter? People that just, I just say how it is. And, and that's like, that's, that's just saying that, that in a loving way. I just call it how it is. And I've encountered those people, and sometimes those people can rub others completely the wrong way. But what I found is when you encounter those people, we need those sort of people. They're hard to get along with. They're hard to hear what they say. But one thing you can always take to the bank, they will tell you how it is. If you ask them a question, they will answer that question directly. And it's not because they don't like you. It's not because they're out to get you. It's actually because they love you. And so we need those sort of people that can just say how it is. Now, they may need to learn how to say how it is in a loving way or a loving tone. That helps. <laughs> but we do need those people. God has called us all here to be a necessary instrument in his bride. And the church is his bride. And he wants his bride to be glorified because he looks at his bride and it's beautiful. And he wants you to be a part of that beauty. And you all bring different things to it. So the final commitment is commit to your part. Verse 27, now you are the body of Christ. That's, that's a statement. That's, there's no if there. You are the body of Christ. And individually members of it. Individually, you are part of the body. The New Living Translation says it like this. All of you together are Christ's body. And each of you is a part of it. You're a part 
of the body of Christ, the physical representation of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, the perfect one to this world. You're a part of it. That's the invitation you've accepted when you've become a part of the bride, when you've accepted Jesus Christ, that you are now a part of what God has been doing from eternity. You're on his team. And he wants to put you in the game. He wants to use you. God has called you, brought you, drawn you, placed you here to be what he wants to accomplish through Harvest Hill. It's not an accident you're here because, get this, God doesn't make accidents. You're here to be a part, but you will never feel a part of the body of Christ until you place yourself in a part of the body of Christ. And this is why so many people get frustrated with church. This is why so many people look at church as optional or, well, we could go or not go. A lot of times you feel like an outsider. You feel like you really haven't connected to anybody or you're not connected to very many people. Scripture points out that our spiritual development hinges, hinges on our being a part of the whole body. And it may not be up here. It may be in the nursery. It may be in children's church. It may be with students. But to be a part somewhere. And so when we look at things, well, that's more important than this. That's why Paul uses the analogy of the body, of the hands and feet and ears and eyes. He's making an absurd statement in Scripture. How strange would it be if you walked upon an individual and his whole body was covered with eyes? How freaked out would you be if you walked upon an individual and everything on their body was covered with ears? Or all they had were arms and hands growing out all over the place, or legs everywhere. If we saw an individual like that, we would be scared to death. And this is what Paul's saying with the body, is that if we were all an eye or an ear or a hand or a foot, we would look absurd. It would be, it'd be freaky. But instead, we all play different parts. And some of us may be a little more vital, like a vital organ, but some of us are reaching out into the world. Some of us are moving the church. We're feet, we're moving, and we're pushing. And some of us are hearing what's going on around. Some of us are able to see things better. I'm thankful for my wife who sees things better than I do. I did it. Amen, gentlemen. We need every aspect to work together. Some of you all, man, you are muscles. And when we need to move stuff, we need your backs and your muscles because there's some people here that if they move stuff, they're not walking the rest of the week. We all play a part. I'm so thankful when that storm came through several weeks ago. Some of the church family came over to our house, not because it was something that was planned, it just kind of sporadically happened. We had several of our teenage boys that came along and it started spitting sleet and it was cold. And Richard was chopping wood and Chainsaw and wood. How do you say it, Richard? Yeah, cutting wood. I'm cutting wood. He was a woodchuck, chopping it. But we had a lot of teenage boys that were able to pick up big logs and move them to the front, or big trees and move them to the front, where we had some adults that if they attempted to do that, they would be out of commission the rest of the week. Students, you're not just here to move things. I guarantee if we did not have students or college students or kids at this church and someone walked in with a college student or a kid or, or a teenager and their family and looked around and saw none of that, probably wouldn't be back next week. You all are a huge magnet at Harvest Hill. Huge, necessary, and vital. But we all play a part. And God wants to use you. And your spiritual development hinges on the part that you're playing in the body. 
Sometimes it's where do I get plugged in? You know, we hear I need to be used. I need to be a part. I need to be somewhere in the church. Where do I get plugged in? So, Ethan, you want to throw that next one up there? I just wanted to rattle off a couple things that are going on, and, and this isn't everything. And so, Mike and Charlie, I do not need your rebuke later. I know this is not everything. But I mentioned children's church and nursery, and I think sometimes we think that is like babysitting. Well, I'm just taking care of someone else's kids. Yes, you are, but you're ministering to a family, to a younger couple who are able to come here and they leave their child, their toddler, their, ch- their children to go there into that place of worship, that place of being cared for, so a young adult can be in here and hear the word of God and be lifted up so they can go and lead their family later in the week. That is incredibly vital for some families. I've seen families not attend a church simply because they didn't feel their kids were welcome in certain areas. That's incredibly vital. And is it tough? Is it uncomfortable at times? You better believe it. But praise the Lord, you can sacrifice for Jesus. In the kitchen, man, we got an awesome kitchen crew. And I don't know if they got more room in the kitchen, but, you know, they might. But sometimes people can't show up on Wednesday Night Live. Sometimes people can't show up for funeral dinners or taking care of things. And so sometimes it's not even just being in the kitchen crew. It's bringing food to be served through the kitchen crew. Student ministry, Jason's already mentioned that. Man, we've got some... We've got some students, let me just be honest, we've got some students that need some extra love and attention on Wednesday Night Live. And here's the danger we're at right now. There are some students that we're at a point we don't know if we should have them come because they're so disruptive. They need someone who can be one-on-one with them. Someone who say, you know what, I'm going to sit with them for an hour. If they want attention, they're going to get my attention. Did you know that the majority of students who graduate high school graduate the church, but the one thing that keeps them from graduating the church is when another adult outside their parents or student leader begins pouring into their life? When they feel that someone else cares about me outside of my family, outside of the youth pastor who has to be here, they feel connected. They feel necessary and vital. So maybe it's just giving up an hour on Wednesday nights to come sit with a kid and to love on them. Maybe you were one of those kids growing up. You were one of those kids that, man, oh, someone wanted just to give you the right hand of fellowship sometimes. So you know how to deal with them. You can sit with them and you can love on them. You can talk with them in ways that Jason and I and no other adult can. You're vital. Small group leaders. You know, Jason Morton has a small group coming up. You may have something God's stirring in your heart that you want to walk through with other people. You can use the church. You can open your home. Maybe it's not necessarily a leader, but you feel like, you know, I have a house that God can use. And I don't necessarily mean I can lead the small group, but I'm willing to be a host home. If someone needs a place where they can meet and gather, and they can have my home, and they can use it. Transportation. Right now, we've got a couple people who drive the van. And if they don't show up, guess who gets to do it? I'm fine with that, but it also keeps me from being able to be here at the church when some kids and students and adults are coming. And it's, it's simply about learning the route and driving around the route. Security, you may not know, but churches are under attack today. You may have seen a couple months ago that what happened in Texas. We have people that are here. This isn't scare you, maybe it is, but they're in this room who are keeping this place secure. We have people out there in the foyer and down by the nursery that are keeping that thing secure so that we're safe and we can worship God without fear. Maybe that's something that you have in your heart. Vacation Bible School is coming up. 
man, Terry and Steph, they've been talking about it. We've got it set in the calendar. We've got the stuff. We're going to start having meetings and things like that. Sometimes you hear vacation Bible school, and you're like, I don't know if I can do that. A lot of times it's just simply saying, I've got a group of five or six kids, and I'm going to get them from place A to place B, and we may stop off at the bathroom, but we're going to make sure we get to place B before time starts. And it's simply spending time and being here, and it does take sacrifice. Camp chaperones, that's kids' camps, youth camps, and I, that's a huge sacrifice. I understand that because some of you all have to take vacation time for that. But we need those, otherwise we can't send those kids and those students to camp. Worship team, and that doesn't mean just up here. Elliot and Ethan are, are working it. They're rocking it in the back. That's part of the worship team just as much. But we need people who are willing to come up and sing, and we've had a couple people approach, say, hey, I think God may be leading me to do that, and so they're working with the worship team then. Maybe it's a prayer group leader. Some of y'all don't know, but Sarah leads once a month a prayer group on Monday nights, the first Monday every month. And people get together and pray, and right now it's through an app. But maybe you're like, I want to I gather with people to pray. Hospital visitors, I mean, that's one thing we haven't had a whole lot. But here's the thing, just, this, is, this is a little pet peeve of mine. If you're in the hospital, or someone you love's in the hospital, let me know. Don't show up on Wednesday or next Sunday and be like, well, you know, I had surgery last week, thanks for coming by. I'm Fill out a card like Jason tells you to, okay? <laughs> let us know. And if you don't want us to visit you, just let us know so we can pray for you. Okay? But we need people who, who can have that ability to go out. Outreach. This is something that's been on Richard Campbell in my heart for a long time, is, is to just go out and, and share the gospel, which we're going to talk about next week. Committing to sharing your faith and sharing the gospel. But maybe that's something on your heart as well. I want to... I want be able to do that, and I want to go with people to do that. That's why it is tough. You look at Scripture, Jesus sent them out by two. Missions is something that we've done a little bit in this community. We like to see you do it more statewide and nationwide and internationally. The thing is, we need people who have a heart for missions. Otherwise, you know what we're going to do with missions? We're just going to talk about missions. We need someone who has a heart for missions and, and can get this ball rolling and, and has ideas this is one that's come up, a welcome team. And like I said, not everybody can be on a welcome team because some of y'all need to have more coffee in the morning. But it's something Charlie and Mike and I have been talking about, about getting a group of people who would be willing to get here early, earlier than 1030, willing to lose your spot, you know, your assigned seat, and greet people as they come in. Say, hey, how you doing? If you see an unfamiliar face, Get their name. Maybe instead of Jason saying, could you fill out a card, you could give them a card. Say, hey, would you mind filling that out for us? Get to know them. Greet them. Make them feel like this is a place that they can belong. It would mean some sacrifice. You may have to wake up 30 minutes earlier than you do right now. You definitely have to be at the church earlier. Some of y'all have to be at church earlier than you do right now. But it's just being welcoming. And then we have our 10th anniversary coming up this August. We're not going to celebrate in August. We're actually going to celebrate in September. There's a reason for that. Um, school helps people being back and around. But we've already been contacting people. But we have a few people that are involved with that. And we're going to start getting more focused with that. But maybe that's something, like, I could do that. I like to celebrate. I could be a part of that. And I don't care if you've been here a, a week, two weeks, years, ten years. 
you all come from different backgrounds and experiences and you have different ideas and we can have this huge pool and huge idea of what that should look like that would bring God glory and what he's been doing at Harvest Hill for 10 years. Here's the point. We're without excuse to not be involved somewhere. And God has placed you here as a necessary instrument to be a part of his bride that he might be glorified. What part are you playing? You may look at this, and there's something God has placed in your heart that's not on this list, and I know there's other things that go on in the church. And God has placed a need and desire, and I'll just give you a heads up. And I've had these conversations. Come and share that with me. But I guarantee you what I'm not going to do is I'm not going to take that from you. But I'm going to say, sound like God has put something on your heart to begin to develop. And let's talk about how we can get that in place. We all have a part to play to bring him glory. You may be here, and the part that you had to play this morning is to first begin a relationship with God. So you may not have a desire to be a part of anything at church. You may not have a desire even to be here all the time, and that may be because you don't have a relationship with God yet. You don't have that, that spirit drawing you and giving you that desire. You may have been to church several times. You may have done the motions of what you think you should do while you're at church or as a Christian. You can do all those things, but if you don't have Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, the Bible says you're lost. You're actually dead in your sins at this very moment, separated from God for eternity. But God has called you here. He has drawn you here to himself to change that today, to let this be the day of your salvation. This is good news because it's for everyone. The Bible lets us know that God has created every human being for a relationship with them, with him. But we all have sin that separates us from God. We do things we know we shouldn't. We have things in our past we're not too proud of. That's sin. That's God revealing those things to us so we can be aware there's a sin problem in our life. What we can tend to do is we tend to, oh, if I just go to church enough or just be a good person or, or if I just get involved like the preacher says, then I'll take care of it. But you can't do that. You cannot work to remove your sin problem. It only comes through a personal confession of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And what that means is you are stating, I believe that God loves me that much. He sent his only son, Jesus, to die for my sins. They placed him in a tomb, but he rose three days later to overcome death and the wages of sin. And if I just place my faith in what God did for me instead of what I think I should do for God, I can be saved and be given eternal life. You may be here this morning, and that's exactly why you've been drawn to this place in this moment, to accept God's gift of love for you. The only thing holding you back from accepting that gift is you. It's not God. He's already paved the way. So we're going to come this time of invitation. I'm going to ask our worship team to come back up. And if that's you here this morning, that you know you need to begin a relationship with God, I'm going to ask you to come down and say, Pastor Mike, I want to be saved. Can you tell me how to do that? And we're going to pray together, and I guarantee you we're going to celebrate together. You may be here, and God has placed something on your heart that you need to be involved, and you saw this list, and you're like, okay, I could do that. Maybe you just need to get one of those cards out and put on the back. It's not a prayer concern, but I'm making this commitment that I'm going to be involved in this. And you just let that be a commitment that we can hold each other accountable. But here again, you are necessary. You are necessary. 
so we can be the church that God needs us to be in this community, in this state, and in this world. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for loving us. Lord, thank you that you have brought us and you want to use us. Thank you that you've given us everything that pertains to life and godliness, Lord. Forgive us those times we say we can't do that. I thank you for the examples we have in Scripture of Moses and Gideon and Nehemiah and Esther who understood the impossibility, but understood that you were working through them for great and mighty works. So, Lord, give us that heart. That when we say we can't, we know that we are stating our allegiance and reliance upon you. I thank you for what you're doing in this church. I thank you for how healthy it is and it is becoming. So, Father, use us for your glory. Use us that your kingdom may come and your glory may be done and your word may be spread and people will hear the gospel so they can accept it and they can be saved. Thank you for those who are sacrificing their time in the nursery and children's church who sacrificed their time yesterday to love on the family, to, who sacrificed time th this week in prayer and in teaching and preparing to teach. Lord, give us all a heart to be a part of what you're doing. I pray for those here this morning who need to accept you as our Lord and Savior. Father, your spirit will not let them leave this place without making that confession of faith. Let your spirit fall upon them in such a way to bring them into conviction in a place of repentance, a thing that only you can do. Thank you for allowing me to be a part of what you want to do here today. We praise on the name of Jesus. Amen.